Hello everyone, welcome back to the left page. I'm Yay, Frank, we're back. your historian, always here. I'm joined as always by my literary friend Bruno. Yeah. And today we have special guests. Yes, it's Halloween. So for our Halloween special, as usual, to make it a tradition, we have yeah. the Horror Vanguard, of course. Hello. How are you guys doing? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, present yourselves. <laughs> well, hello everyone. I am Ash, one of the co-ghosts of the Horror Vanguard. Um, uh, the other, the other one. Uh, who are you, other Horror Vanguard member? <laughs> uh, who are? Wow! You? Like even on somebody else's show, we, so we still find this. intros weird. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Hey everybody, my name is John, otherwise known as the Liquid Guy. I am the terminally online co-host of of the best communist podcast about horror films and the best horror film podcast about communism around, which is horror, which, which, yeah. which is horror vanguard. Yeah. Without a shadow of a doubt. So once again, we're honored by your presence on our podcast, and we'd like to make you feel at home, so we're glad intros are still weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So this year, you were actually the ones that recommended our reading. Uh, since last year, I, I was like, okay, let's do Dracula, and we did. So yeah. today, we you brought us something that... Like, this is probably the closest thing to horror I've read so far. This probably won't be the last, but it was an impact, and I liked it. So, yeah. uh, feel free to introduce the text. <laughs> <laughs> As the gears and machinations of capitalism collapse around us like dominoes set up by M.C. Escher, we too collapse, rise up, and collide with the unknowable game pieces around us. As the cacophony of falling game pieces rises, most are ground away into the base layer of this game, while others pop up and get flicked towards the highest tiers of calamity. What rests at this peak, this pinnacle? The answer is as subtle as it is loud. Nothing. A networked nothingness. An absence of an absence. Beyond alienation is the stark terror of acclimatizing to these machinations. This pinnacle is an obliteration of the recognition that we cannot play this game. This game is not just self-effacing, but an annihilation of our basic essence. In the starkness of this terror, a void opens. A void that welcomes. And in that void? I cannot say. But what I can say is that the path open to us is fraught with darkness and defined by a potential for hope. Join us today as we talk about Thomas Ligotti's My Work Is Not Yet Done. Holy shit. <laughs> you have the biggest smile on my face right now. Yeah. Just, wow. <laughs> he never misses. He never yeah. misses. Every single one of these is an absolute solid gold banger. Aww. Yeah. Why, why thank you, everyone. I will. I still remember the Zardos one. Oh. <laughs> oh I so, so I really think that the the Zardoz one is where where I caught my stride. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. Maybe uh, as we have this beautiful uh, introduction, maybe we should go directly to talking about the main character or. Maybe the the first theme that we want to talk about. I don't know. 
Oh yes, uh, much like, and this is quite fun, like the one, the Horvanger's 100th episode, we also have a main character that shares the name of the co-hosts. Oh my god, <laughs> yes, yes, of course. <laughs> so our yeah. main character and narrator is Frank, not yeah. me, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Frank, could you tell us a little bit about Frank? <laughs> yeah, Gladly. exactly. I'll try my best. Uh, Frank works for an un for the company, an unspecified corporation conglomerate that does a product. And Frank, like most people in large companies, works in middle management. What does he do? Who knows? He bosses around some people. He's bossed around by others, and the whole thing co kicks off when amidst the seven that are sort of on his same level, like supervisors and whatnot, that he calls the Seven Dwarfs, and we'll get onto what a lot of that means. Yeah. But he starts to be to feel that, like, in one way or another, he's put at odds with them, that they are out to get him, and it all yeah. feels very dreadful. As I was mentioning to John and Ash and Bruno as well before, like, before we recorded uh, while I was reading. The sense of dread is like, you, you know something horrible is going to happen, and is happening, but you have no real clue what actually is taking place. So you're like, oh, okay, let, let's keep going, with this horrified expression. Yeah. And as it turns out, like, they, they were out to get him. And he does find out by a horrific accident where he gains powers of some sort and starts yeah. to execute his work, a work of revenge. So I think that's a, <laughs> some intro to Frank, although I didn't get to the ontology bit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was, just gonna, I, was, I was just gonna set us up. I was just gonna say, so what do we all think of this story? <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I don't know, man, this story, as a, as a I was talking earlier, the the taxi driver vibes are just too real for me reading this story. It's just, uh, it, it, and it gets me, it, it gets kind of mysterious to me because the main character is such a nihilist. But at the same time, I maybe feel like uh, there's almost, there's not an, an episode or a specific thing that makes him to want to turn against these people or to or to try to take a revenge of something that we didn't even know if it was true in the beginning in the beginning to be sincere i thought it, it was just things from his mind because he says he's a an obsessive person and that he uh is always like thinking and rethinking about every single fucking thing in his life and and when he turns into this into this person that wants revenge and wants violence, I, I can't uh, help to think about that scene in Taxi Driver where uh, Biko is buying his guns and working out uh, alone in his in his room and basically evolving into this kind of revengeful uh, personality. Yeah, no, I t I completely agree and. Um... I really like the opening line. I really like the opening line because it kind of ties into all of this where he says, 
I had always been afraid. And I think one of the things this story is really good at is underscoring this sense of kind of objectless dread. Like, if you if you experience fear, normally in kind of like regular circumstances, it's fear directed towards uh, an object or a situation. So we're afraid of X, of X mm-hmm. happening. Dread yeah. is dread is a more interesting emotion because dread is is a potential fear in the future without object. Yeah. You don't know what is going to happen but you're terrified something will. And I think yeah. any anyone who has ever uh anyone who's ever had a job, I think can relate to this idea of like you go into work with people that you don't know really, maybe don't even like. Um and and increasingly as employment becomes more and more flexible in inverted commas and and, and <laughs> you 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 get more choice about when and how you work you realize mm-hmm. that employment which was this supposed to be this contractual thing right you would give them a certain amount of your time and energy and you would receive what you wanted it's become this thing which is like almost very arbitrary people can be fired or let go and companies can collapse and it seems like there's no actual cause i think i think maybe one of the default states of existence in modern life is is this idea of dread right we we're terrified of the future but there is not not necessarily an object to it if you've ever been if you've ever been doom scrolling through social media you'll, (laughs) you'll you'll know this feeling of going Oh my God, the world is just falling apart. But if you ask me to to kind of articulate why, why is everything shit? <laughs> why why do I think the future might be uh, kind of worse? It's difficult to 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 pin this down to concrete objects or causes. It just it's an affect. It's a it's a mood. And I think yeah, the the default mood of like much of our contemporary existence is that of dread yeah yeah because we 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 are we are so afraid of the future but at the same time we are bored as hell and we want to things go uh to go faster Mm -hmm. so it doesn't Mm -hmm. even make sense because we want to live life simpler and faster but we are afraid of the future so why why we're in a hurry basically Mm, yeah completely yeah it makes sense that like this uh this whole like uh, enlightenment idea of like no future will save us like not looking likely really yeah. <laughs> yeah. but is anything going to nah who cares like <laughs> to give a, a very uh, today example uh, there's a particular shit and horrible inverted commas philosopher or thinker uh, which is Luis Felipe Pondere I have no qualms about saying his name he's shit horrible and cynical bastard <laughs> you can tell i have anger <laughs> yeah. no name names name names always yeah like i it's it, it's all in the news and articles so like it's not i know him personally he's just horrible uh today he released an article where he was like oh the the left the the revolutionaries of like uh this to give like a, a an example that will make sense in the analogy like the revolutionaries of like uh, upper Manhattan or that sort of thing like from the richest neighborhoods like these revolutionaries and like what he's talking about are liberals 
like liberals, rainbow capitalism. That's the thing. But it's yeah. like, no, he calls it left. He calls it revolutionaries because, and then he complains, oh, they're being cynical and hypocritical and whatnot. No, like, well, th- it, you should look in the mirror, mate. You know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, and he and he even goes as far to like, yeah, like uh, uh, inequality is rising, unemployment is bad, but besides all that. Like, capitalism has achieved, like, greater, like, vaccines and public health care and whatnot. And, like, but this is what it is. And, like, yeah, and inequality is rising and that, but it's what we got. And that's, uh, and he basically, like, waves it away and is like, wait, yeah. what? It's so disingenuous. Like, I fucking hate him. <laughs> and it's, <laughs> and that's, like, the attitude. That That's, like, the prevailing pointless dread that, like... Yeah, like, you don't see the hope in the future anymore. Like, progress really won't go anywhere, but you, you're gonna, are you gonna have or create or do anything or have any perspective that, like, oh, you can have something positive amidst all of it? Uh, no, it's just, it is what it is. It's capitalist realism. It's, it's over. Like, there's nothing more. And this is it until the end. And the end mm. is this. Yeah. So Frank, do you think that Frank thinks like that as well? I wish. <laughs> well, he does. I like. Here's the thing, and, and I've mentioned this many times. I've been researching utopias in literature, and like that's yeah. a coping mechanism amongst other things. Because like I can't accept that there's nothing, it, it, like that it, it is capitalism, and this is the end till like the end of the world, quite literally. So, yeah. and for Frank, not me. <laughs> in the story that there isn't like life human life and at the he does go as far as saying that all life it's sort of a meaningless expression of of, of a an abyss a void and that yeah. means nothing that is simply it's a thing it ends good good that it ends because it's not it, it's not fortunate that it that it exists that it procreates that it continues it's, it yeah. should end. That's like almost the least horrifying outcome that you can have from like his perspective. And I know John is, uh, has a lot to say on this, but it, <laughs> it, it, it felt like a very... It's a nihilism to such a degree to the sort of like... I thought Schopenhauer was negative in being anti-natalist, but this, is, it, it goes the extra mile. <laughs> yeah because this isn't just anti-natalism it's it's not saying it's not saying that like wouldn't it be better to never have been born it's saying actually existing at all is is a, a kind of problem yeah it's kind of like every every person that's born is doomed basically yeah precisely what about you ash what do you think so this is this is one of the things I find most interesting about this story, right? Because this this is this is like uh, I don't know, like one of like the the favorite games of like philosophy, hot potato. You know, like you know, like you know, uh, Albert what, uh, Camus' statement. You know, like the only serious question is whether or not to kill yourself. You know, like like <laughs> philosophers love the you know staring into the void and seeing what happens. But I think there's yeah there is there, yeah. there's there, there's almost like a simplicity to the underlying framework of this question because like life, life is unbearingly unbearingly brutal it's so grim and like 
you know, like there, there is this kind of like, you know, like we were talking about dread just a moment ago and like, you know, like there, there is like a dread that isn't thoroughly discussed of having a dead end job. And like, we've all worked at like these, these abyssal nightmare jobs where, you know, you have (laughs) an abundance of downtime, but you're not allowed to read books. You can't have your phone on the shop floor. No, no uh, unapproved communications, right? All these, all these rules to prevent you from connecting with the people you work with or getting some enjoyment out of life. And like, you know, we truly do live in the nightmare world, you know, but I think, I, I think there's almost, there's always, there's always something hopeful about how bleak it is because it, it points us inexorably and incredibly directly at, at the, the problems of the world we live in, right? Like it's telling that Frank's life is a miserable hellscape because he has a job at a giant soulless corporation, you know, yeah. like, like you, you can imagine another story where Frank is living his dream as like a local candy vendor or something. And like, it's a much more pleasant <laughs> tale by a completely different author. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think this is a really interesting chance to just kind of talk about the idea of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Gen- generally, because like the big the thing that I was thinking about, Ash, when you were talking was David Graeber's book, Bullshit Jobs where he he kind of talks about this phenomena that like capitalism as it has advanced and as production has become less materially based like we don't all work in factories that make shoes or tables or like yeah. phys- physical objects has created this kind of pl- strata of jobs that don't really seem to do anything yeah um, I've I've had I've had jobs like that where you go well what is it that I actually do and mostly <laughs> and mostly what you do is you answer emails yeah or, you just you or, or shuffle like, forms around yeah and so like this is this is a kind of like classic Marxist approach to the idea of work right so work is not bad just because it's exploitative although it is it's bad because it is a break or a hindrance on humans' creative potential. Like the thing yeah. that fr- that Frank in the in the novella admits is that like working there has kind of naturalized his fear. Like he's, yeah. he's mm-hmm. become he's become a kind of like person that maybe he doesn't recognize or even like anymore. Yeah, it's it's the swine story, uh, the the yeah, swineiness. Yeah. yeah. The swinishness. Yeah. He's become, he's become a swine. And it's yeah. like, that's what work does to you. Yeah. Because it's, it's the pleasantry. It's the uh, trying to be nice to your boss and to your co-workers and trying to facilitate your life in a situation which is completely terrible. And you sort of get this, this almost obvious vibe that he's turning into a sociopath exactly because of the fact that he's being nice and being attentive to the people that he hates the most. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's this classic Zizek story about this, which is like, it's, it's like the authoritarian father back in the day, you know, your father would say, you have to visit your grandmother and I know you don't like it, but you have to, because that's your responsibility. And yeah. so you, you would do it, but you would have the freedom to feel, like, angry or mad about it or bitter. Yeah, yeah, like crap, yeah. But now, but now you have 
I know that you love your grandmother, and you, and, and you don't want to disappoint her. So, and that's and he says that's what's happened at work. So normally, like previously, in like a kind of historic phase of capitalism, you'd have a boss who's an authoritarian and would go, "Here's what you have to do, and you have to do it because I'm your boss." Yeah. But as he puts it, it's like now you have a boss that comes in and is like, hey, buddy, how was your weekend? How was your time with your wife? And it's like, no, fuck you. What? You you take away the freedom to hate you. Yeah. Which is such an integral part of trying to psychically survive under, under the struggle for working. And he's in this company, Frank is in this company where he. Uh, it kind of exists in this world of paranoia where you can't ever say really what you think about somebody because that's yeah. that's it. You're done if you do that. And this is, yeah. this is, I think, such a powerful locus for the dread in this story, right? Like, you, you, Frank lives in a world where he is beset on all sides in, by, by just this horrible nightmare job uh, but the the kind of dictates and structure of the horrible nightmare job uh, mean he can't articulate it. He can't even begin to approach articulating why it is his life is a nightmare, and like that yeah. that shapelessness, that kind of formlessness that's around him constantly. Like that's so much of the driving factor here that pushes him to just how bleak his ending becomes. Yeah, he's he's so utterly alone that it, it, it's it's completely oppressive because he's he's not he's got nothing he, he, no. he, he at work like a sort of contained attitude which is like that sort of thing that's like you need to manage your behavior your attitude your look your tone it's all the it, it's a, not it, the novella is very strong like very little things on these subtleties and these details yeah so like a, a, a strange word, a, an odd comment, a, a certain posture, the, the whole yeah. construction of dread, it, it goes on these little things that like, it may just have been an accident, but maybe not. And that whole feeling that he's under attack, really, it comes from that. It comes yeah. from this from things that like, maybe it's just a strange comment or something and not like, oh, we're purposely doing this. And that's so much worse than like, yeah, I hate you, you suck. Like, get out. <laughs> it, it, it's like, wait, what, 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 did you get my uh, duct tape or something? I, I, I don't remember the name uh, of the thing. But like, oh, did yeah. you get my, my uh, paper clips or whatever? It's not that, but for, as an example. Oh, it's a roll of stamps, isn't it? It's a yeah, roll of stamps. stamps. Which is very weird to see stamps. That That's why it didn't associate. Yeah felt out of place but it, it, it's very much that it's like oh why, why are you doing with my roll of stamps it's like oh no it was on the table mm. and like it just <laughs> walks away or just simply not responding to emails and messages it, it's very <laughs> it's horrible it's such a dreadful environment yeah it's, it's exactly as you said like it, it gets to this sort of place in your brain where you you can't you can't be sure of anything and you're kind of thinking, what if she thinks that I'm a psychopath? What if she thinks that I was... And I love the the the, the little details that he talks like. There's this lady that he hates and then there's the lady that is hot and 
detestable at the same time that he like he's he says that her body uh was like beautiful but her face was so like i don't even remember the word like so uh stupid that he as you looked into her eyes you you like resented being in the same place as her yeah his descriptions of people are fascinatingly odd sorry go on and 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 that's like exactly as you said maybe he was an asset but maybe not maybe every single stimulus and grotesque thing that happened in his day-to-day -day life made him go mad yeah because the the one thing that is not really allowed if you work in any corporate environment um is this idea of kind of like imagination because imagination is dangerous so like the yeah. big mistake the big mistake that frank makes in this book is he comes up with a new idea yeah <laughs> and he does it carefully he comes up with this 50 page proposal for for uh, it's always capitalized new product uh, <laughs> yeah. it's it's never specified what the product is or how it's new um and so like he does in a certain sense he does everything right but really that's exactly the problem right he, <laughs> because really really your workplace like if you have this if you have a kind of marxist view of labor what what the what the owner of the means of production wants from a working person is to be basically a machine. You're there yeah. to reproduce labor. And so if you have any kind of autonomy or if you have any kind of imaginative capacity, that's a problem because it disrupts the system that's been established. Yeah. And, and in a way, that's sort of why Frank has to kind of go. He kind of has to be put into this you know, very Kafka-esque bureaucracy that's constantly changing. I, I kind of really, I kind of really love this because, um, uh, as I said before we started recording, I've been working for a university which has been really hard hit by COVID cases. So yeah. we had a very set way of working, but like almost every day we would get instructions that actually now what we had to do was X. Now oh, no. what we had to, and that would happen every single day and you couldn't make yeah. mis and you couldn't make mistakes and you had to sort of immediately forget the way that you did work and institute this brand new way of working so if you had if you had any kind of imagination if you had any kind of like uh memory even that made you a problem yeah it made you like inefficient yeah that's bizarre Wow, that, and, and that, that's uh, something similar happened here in our university because even though we're not working, uh, there's a, a audio message from the general direction of. It's the uh, like the because the university is split into all its various faculties, and the faculty of education where we're getting our teaching degrees every week sends like an audio message via <laughs> yeah. email to us that says oh, wow. nothing it like they've been doing it every week yeah so so you uh, each week there's a completely absurd and inutile gigantic piece of audio to hear to actualize and 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 like know how to act and and do things as you study in that faculty 
So it's as you said, like the, you have to forget what you were doing and how do you act on your normal life to to be present in 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 this this sort of uh, mm, imaginary yeah. place that is uh, teaching at, at distance, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The funny thing is that this reminds me of like Papers, Please. Like it's a, it's almost like a video. <laughs> because every day you get new rules yeah. that you need to obey because bureaucracy says so. And you're yeah. like, okay, the, these are the rules to which I'll accept passports. But this is like, this is actually happening <laughs> for your job. And it's yeah. probably not as simple as that, as the game. All complexity aside. So that sounds nightmarish. It's very yeah. Kafka-esque. I'm sorry, John. <laughs> but I know, I know, Ash. You, you, you have some thoughts on like narrative fiction as game. Yeah, this this especially comes into uh, when we talk about the third story in this. In this, so this is a a work that contains three novellas or three long short stories. I'm not quite sure the taxonomy yeah. here from that perspective. Um, but we have my work is <laughs> me neither because it's it's so debatable but yeah so, oh, sorry yeah. to interrupt but it's so de debatable if it's a short story or like uh, uh the even the difference between short story and novella is already a bit uh gray so yeah but go on sorry it is a friend of mine that likes to use the term novelette <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> So you know it, it can only get worse. Yeah, we we enter the infinite yeah. spiraling of taxonomies here. Um, but there's so there's there's three works in this. My work is not yet done. I have a special plan for this world and the Nightmare Network. And the Nightmare Network is is told in the the time honored and well respected epistolary tradition. It's it's not a a story in the conventional sense like you would have a a Lord of the Rings. Uh, it's a it's a set of fragments of of found artifacts from from this this future nightmare world that we're getting the story from, and we have clips of like yeah. emails, psychic memos, classified ads, parts of scripts for a movie, and like that that kind of changes how we interact with the text, right? Because it's it's a less passive experience, and I know passive is a bit loaded a term when we talk about uh, engaging with art. But when we receive a text that's yeah. effectively a bunch of puzzle pieces, it, it changes how we need to interact with it, right? Because no longer do we have one cohesive body, but we have, we have a set of puzzle pieces laid out in one specific direction, and we have to do a little bit more legwork to, to unpack that and engage with those. And that's why I, I really like the Nightmare Network for that. Yeah. Yeah, as I, I was saying earlier, I had a bit of trouble with the Nightmare Network, not because I didn't like it or or anything in that matter, but because I, after I read it, while reading the three stories like in that order, and the first one being so bizarre to me, uh, sometime later, exactly for the fact that it doesn't have this sort of spinal cord. And this and this narrative, it was easier to forget basically the 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 specific things that it talked about. But I remember liking uh, and thinking it was adding to the other text as I wrote as I as I read it. In the yeah, day. it's a lot like um. Yeah, it's definitely. a lot like like I don't know if anyone you've ever played like Fallout, the video game. 
Um, but so so like it's it's kind kind of similar to what goes on in the story of Fallout, right? Because in Fallout, you have you have like this very sparse narrative for your character right you you awaken in this wasteland and there are some vague things you have to do here or there but it's not really important but the bulk of the story comes in for the things you accidentally encounter and explore and find and you're the one who's piecing together this narrative and deciding how this thing comes together right and then that that for me is like like oh like I love this like you know like the epistolary tradition uh, tradition was environmental storytelling way before computers were invented. Yeah, I mean, as a little aside, we're talking about video games now. Like, uh, it, it all resurged recently with like Bioshock. Like, we're told very little, and we piece the story, and like, oh, a lot comes through the environment, through what we see. And yeah. again, we were talking about Bloodborne. I've been playing Hollow Knight, which has a lot of that. And yeah. I was thinking because it's something that does come up quite a bit in this story. I think all three, there's a very large sense of place, uh, of how the building is. What are the environments that we see? Like, where do these uh, revenge killings take place? How is the company as a building? if not as a corporation. We don't know the name, we don't know the product, but we know how the building is, at least from the inside. We know where are, what types of places we see that where these killings happen. Again, the whole thing, Frank likes to explore this sort of, uh, it's not spelunking, but this um, urban exploration of like ruined buildings and derelict warehouses, that sort of thing. And this sense of architecture it, it comes through all the stories in in uh, i have a special plan for this world that's one of the first things that we get is like how the interaction in the work environment is that people can't see like a foot ahead of them and they keep bumping into each other in the workplace yeah. because of the <laughs> the thickness of the tension and there's this yeah. <laughs> eerie yellow fog throughout the city which was murder town now the golden city because of course it is yeah and even in like the nightmare network where even as these little fragments of the story they create certain places that may be real maybe sort of this script maybe this report but they refer to it's 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 a very concrete in, in like space, even if it isn't always on in time, which is something that I, I kept thinking about and, and definitely wanted to mention at the very least here, uh, because it's it's very well done. For me, like I have a very hard time writing like physical space, but and even like picturing it in my head is very hard, uh, even yeah. if I can do it. But in these stories, it's very precise. You get a very good sense of where we are in these various moments and locations. And that's something... It almost like adds to the effect that we're having. Like, this fear, this dread. At times, like, just the confusion, really, or the horror. It's very well placed. Yeah, and, and, and at the same time, even with this gift to talk about spaces, at the same time, he talks about, he really talks in a 
a genius way about the void as well, about darkness within darkness and 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 that whole dimension that inhabits the physical space that uh, that Frank lives in the first story. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a, a, a kind of tension here, isn't there? And again, I think a lot of this comes back, <clears throat> comes back to what do we think about capitalism? Um, because the sort of for for uh, for a Marxist or socialist politics, the problem is in the contemporary moment. Like, where where is uh, the capitalist process happening? How do you identify it now? Uh, because really it's become this kind of global world system that is simultaneously both everywhere and nowhere right it's become something that is that is immediately evident that you're looking at it but at the same time if you had to kind of like pin down exactly where oh this is capital it would be it would be a problem it would be challenging yeah so that so there is this like kind of like hyper specificity but at the same time, there is also this idea that it's a kind of nebulous, global, free, free-floating agent. This, 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 what he calls the that that black river of kind of nothing that fl- yeah. that en- that ends up flowing through him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because it, it's it's this sort of uh, materialization of the void. It's, it's yeah. paradoxical. Yeah. It's, it's the same thing. Like we we. We know that capitalism and its problems and its and its representatives exist, but at the same time, we can't pinpoint it and say, "Well, here is the epicenter of all of this." Yeah, if we get rid of X, everything will be okay. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, you know, it, it, it in you know the nineteenth century, it was maybe a little bit easier. You could go, "Well, he, this is the capitalist. He owns the factory. If we burn down or take over the factory, then." uh success yeah yeah but we don't we don't we don't get to do that anymore we don't have that that potential uh freedom yeah we have the stock market (laughs) yes exactly the 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 ghost that is both everywhere and nowhere yeah and this is this is kind of why the nightmare network was so powerful for me as a story right because it's it's just like internal communications from two mega corporations as they attempt to negotiate a merger and like I, I love how it's written in like this deep future where there's like psychic communications and like uh, uh, non non sentient employees and just kind of like all all this all this like uh, uh, sci fi jargon stuff because it reads exactly like you know people talking about the stock market you know like they're talking about this made up fantasy world that's completely divorced from from the materiality of our lives and of production right like. You know, the, like like to to tether that into what everyone was talking about, like the stock market used to connect in with physical goods, but now it's all futures and speculation, and like the the, the stock yeah. market plummets and soars to to record setting heights every day now, and the production of material yep. goods hasn't meaningfully changed in a while. Like that's still trucking on steadily, but I think there's like yep. there's a great moment in my work is not yet done that um kind of speaks to exactly what ash is talking about which is where frank uh goes to a diner which is uh underneath the flat that he rents it's called the metro diner and he talks about what the company wants to do and he says if it were possible to do so the company would sell 
what all businesses of its kind dream about selling, creating that which all of our efforts were tacitly supposed to achieve, the ultimate product, nothing. And for this product, they would command the ultimate price, everything. Everything, yeah. This, <laughs> this market strategy would then go on until one day, among the worldwide ruins of derelict factories and warehouses and office buildings, there stood only a single, shining, windowless structure with no entrance and no exit. Inside would be, will be, only a dense network of computers calculating profits. Outside will be tribes of savage vagrants with no comprehension of the nature or purpose of the shining windowless structure. Perhaps they will worship it as a god. Perhaps they will try to destroy it, their primitive armory proving wholly ineffectual against the smooth and impervious walls of the structure, upon which not even a scratch can be inflicted. I spent most of my days in a world devoted to turning this fable into a reality. I knew that. I also knew that the Metro Diner did not exist in that world. And not 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 to interject too, too yeah. harshly here, but this is this is this is absolutely a kind of person that that exists in in our real world, right? Like not not to throw yeah. American yeah. politics into this too heavily, but like all of these stories are about Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it, it is it is a they're they're all about weaselly men who stand for nothing outside of these nebulous corporate machinations, and like 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 all all of these stories are just like gothic retellings of McKinsey Company bread price fixing. <laughs> yeah, uh, an incredible comparison, which I think is one hundred percent accurate. It's perfect. It's absolutely. So this perfect. was this was what Thomas Ligotti and like when when did this come out? Like two thousand two. He he saw like eighteen years into the future and winced. It's, it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I wanted to ask since since we are uh, like you're mentioning John like a couple of the things you, you wanted to talk about, and I'm not sure we've hit them all yet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yes. Uh, what 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 should we talk about? <laughs> yeah, you're talking about uh, oh. pessimistic <laughs> philosophy. Yeah, I mean, ooh, sorry, Ash, go on. Oh no, I, I was just gonna say, like, if, if you don't mind, like pessimism, like like we were talking about that earlier, but I, I would like to pose a question to the group. Hmm. Is right. you know, like Ligotti is, you know, like if you if you know Ligotti's work, um, it's it's most assuredly for the fact that he is very you know nihilistic pessimistic bleak yeah. like there's not not a lot of uh he, he doesn't wake up every morning and, and do like a positivity mantra in the mirror before he starts his day yeah. like, or, or yoga yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah like Ligotti at the hot yoga studio just just living his best life but um <clears throat> you know like the, like the, there's this really like it's like an icker of darkness throughout his whole work but yeah. can we do something hopeful with this. Can we pry some kind of vision of a better world, some some kind of positive utility out of Ligotti's work? Question for the class. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, I'm, I'm going to be really direct and, and simplistic in this one. I'm, I'm going to say that he is giving the example of a person that we should strive not to be basically mm, yeah yeah that's basically like by by giving the example of this horrible overthinked life 
you maybe get a example of the anti-hero basically for how you should try to live your own life yeah that's that's good i first of all i just want to note i, I wrote down ichor of darkness that's going to be mentioned somewhere maybe in the title who knows uh, that's just very very <laughs> <Awesome>. good <laughs> especially with the grotesque but we can get to that uh i think that this Considering, like, because I've been doing research on Utopia, mostly because I've grown dissatisfied uh, or annoyed with dystopias, really. Uh, or at least, like, the 20th century famous ones, like 1984, Brave New World, Fahrenheit 451. Because, to me, like, these dystopias where there is nothing else, and I'll go with the comparison point to this in a, in a moment, but these dystopias where you don't get anything else they don't point much else than like a description or a certain extrapolation. You don't get much more than like, oh, these are some of the trends that we're already seeing. I think we talked about this a while ago, Ash, that like these dystopias say more about the present than any vision of the future. Yeah. Say for There are exceptions, mm -hmm. I think, like Philip K. Dick does this idea of like the future in a more interesting way, but... There's neither here nor there. What happens, at least with my work, is not yet done. And the other two, I think, of their shortness and some of the other elements, like the tech, the technology, and the sort of like the the merger that ends up happening. And with, uh, I have a special plan for this world, sort of the supernatural. They serve interesting purposes. But with my work's not yet done, through this bleakness, through this dread. There is a sort of, if not systematic, change. Frank is not necessarily miserable by the end. There is a sort of individual, almost like peaceful content. That like he is, no, this is sort of, because he goes through the supernatural transformation and gains certain powers. And at the yeah. end, like he, he sort of ends this semi-physical, semi-psychic existence, and he is sort of like this void that comes for me, it's not all bad, it's not just it's not just the the, 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 the endless shadowy river, there's it, I, at least that's my impression that at the end there's something else and it doesn't feel to me that Frank is miserable and that is one of the things that, like, okay, it's not just, it's all this bleakness, there's not all this, but you do get the feeling that the story, there's nothing you can do. Like, Richard walks away, like, I'm not going to say scot-free, but mostly, like, he's still yeah, sort of yeah. untouched, even if his plan won't succeed for now. Yeah. It's that bleakness in a systemic level is inescapable in at least in these works that will come no matter what and if anything the exploration that he does with this dread it shows some of the cracks on how that happens because even if this is inescapable or this is uh, inevitable you can still see like this is far from being a linear clear and 
simple process. There's th there are ways in between where these things sort of falter, and Frank's actions in in, in the story sort of outline that that like yeah he he definitely does get in the way of uh, of the company or at least the seven dwarves and yeah. th that's not that causes a great deal of impact if only to these people and the the, the sort of the swinish that they perpetrated yeah well i'm gonna be I'm going to be maybe a bit contrarian in my answer to what I think is a really good question by by Ash. <laughs> I was waiting for and it. I'm going to say that no, but maybe that's not a problem. Like, mm -hmm. the, the whole point, mm. like, my work is not e yet done, ends with Frank saying, I can't wait to be dead. Uh, and I actually think being dead will be better than being alive. Uh, the night where the nightmare network ends with what I think is maybe the best description of Ligotti's understanding of what consciousness is, where he says, from, from a rotting mutation, great illusions may grow. Like he says, uh, he says like publicly and frequently that human consciousness is a kind of illusion or a joke. And like the very ending of the night when nightmare network is long shot of the universe there is no one behind the camera. <laughs> yeah, that 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 was. Uh, I mean, I I didn't get too attached to that story, but that ending was fucking amazing as well. I find I find reading Lagotti kind of hard because I, uh, you know, very broadly, I kind of think of myself as a as a as a Marxist humanist. I I think that there is there is such a thing as 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 human nature there is such a thing th thing is like yeah yeah humans can be different in in better systems and in look in, in Lugotti's like yeah. his kind of point is no we can't because there isn't anything that could be redeemed from the nightmares of capitalism right all there is is alienation all the way down and i think i think that's a really strong critique and we ha kind of have to go right even mm -hmm. if that's true what does that mean for the idea of a better world? Even if, and this is like, this is kind of like, this is why I think it's such a great question, Ash, because I think it takes us into some really difficult and interesting philosophical places. If we go, even if human consciousness is just like a, a fluke, a biological mistake, can we still kind of hold true to the idea of an existence which is free of the malign systemat systematic influence of capitalist exploitation and violence can we can we even conceive of that i mean Lugotti's argument would be like doesn't really matter what you can conceive like it just be a kind of like foolish naivety but i actually think there's something really important there um my my answer to this is is to kind of go back to mark fisher's interesting arguments about uh, psychedelia and acid communism and go actually the the way the, we don't need to find a way out of the nightmare of Ligotti's creations. We need to find a way through them, uh, and and yeah. and we mm -hmm. don't know where that will lead us. We don't know what a truly post-capitalist human subject might look like. It might look like something that's very different. Yeah. It might it actually there might be bits about it that we would think of as like kind of potentially kind of terrifying. But if you go yeah. through, 
the big the big thing in Lugotti's fiction is like there is no exit, right? There is no way out. It doesn't even matter that at the end what happens is death and, and entropy. But can you find a way through <laughs> rather than a way out? Yeah, because th- having this this sort of vision of uh, no escape basically erases the possibility of of revolution and of uh, of the sort of like striving for a a better society and a better uh, a better life with other people. So the, the this idea that you said about going through is a lot better because you're taking the example of the nightmare and using it as, a, as an argument to think that we maybe could do better. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I really I really like that answer, right? Because like what is what is kind of like the impulse of capitalism, right? It's always coming up with your next escape plan and launching and launching that, right? And doing that eternally, just constantly jettisoning the you know, what's going on currently for something different. It's not an actual progress of the moment, right? It's not going through what's happening to you. It's just constantly running from it, right? Even yeah. even like the, the terror that we face, like, you know, climate change, right? The thing yeah. that will devastate our planet. And it, I mean, like it won't devastate the planet because nothing can because it's a giant rock in space. <laughs> it will dev- <laughs> devastate how we handle human society, yeah, right? But you know who it's not going to devastate? Jeff Bezos. It's not going to affect his life in the slightest. It's just going to change where he vacations, yeah, you know, exactly. like that, that will be the impact, right? Because they, they don't have to face consequences. They just keep reinventing the moment. Yeah. So maybe we can pinpoint what are the problem, what are the pieces of capitalism in the, in the end, Jeff Bezos, for example. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Some are definitely easier to point out than others. Yeah. <laughs> I, it, it, like the whole, it just got me into a very interesting question about going through it that, to consider, like, what would climate change mean without capitalism? How could that take place? And and, and could that be not necessarily, like, a, a total disaster for a large majority of the population? And perhaps in a different system of social organization, that could be the, the case. That, couldn't necessarily, that wouldn't necessarily be a nightmare. That would be a reworking, a change. Yeah. And... It it, 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 mm-hmm. it really does – it feels like it hints to me that the idea of going through the nightmare is very much like reading Lagarde in this case and like throwing him against himself. That like, yeah, it, it, it is all these things, but like history and most or pretty much every historical system and the ways they've, they've worked so far and, and the, the ones that like perpetuated themselves – they went into collapse, or they were yeah. collapsed, and one way or another, for in better or worse ways, that's going to happen yeah. to capitalism. That like, yeah. that's definitely going to be the case. Like, it, it, and that can take our humanity with it, maybe, or at least a large chunk of it. But this thing, th- there is a, a sort of outcome beyond the nightmare, and it, it can be more devastating or less, and. And this, and it's not a single outcome. I think that's kind of the key. Like, it's not a dead end at the end of the nightmare. Like, there is an out, or there is a through it. There is something beyond the nightmare, and yeah. we may not shape like how soon or how easily we get out of it. But 
we can change perhaps certain aspects of how we get beyond it, of what lies beyond it that may maybe they don't come at such a high cost. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, yeah, completely. <laughs> I think that the that the lecture, the <laughs> lecture, not the the question from from the classes is well answered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I most certainly agree. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I don't know what else should we talk about because we I think we just hit one hour now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know how how much longer you 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 guys can all go, uh, Bruno included, um, but maybe we can go a, a bit more if if there are a couple of things yeah. we want to talk about. Yeah, was there anything else that you wanted to bring up, or anything else you wanted to make sure we hit on? Uh, I, I wanted to ask if you guys want to go first since you're our guests. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, uh, how about you, John? <laughs> well, Ash, I know you wanted to talk about the Nightmare Network a little bit. So yeah. maybe maybe we could talk about that one as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think there's the Nightmare Network was for me the most interesting in part because like you know like I wrote my master's thesis on the epistolary tradition and it's my it's my favorite way of telling stories. I just find it I just find it so so compelling on a personal level. Yeah. But what what I find you know, to be truly exciting about it is like so weird weird fiction is part sci-fi, right? Mhm. Mm it's 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 straddling sci-fi action horror all these all these uh disparate genres and and like the 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 secret sauce to truly great sci-fi is you don't you don't write about hover cars you write about hover car traffic jams i think that was like an isaac asimov quote if i'm attributing that correctly i'm misquoting it and misattributing it. it's the, the, the double combo here <laughs> But like, like in in the Nightmare Network, Legati isn't imagining uh, uh, future corporations that exist in a world where we have like virtual employees, psychic punishments, like like all of these like uh, uh, deep time sci fi elements. He's he's envisioning the traffic jam of that. You know, he's he you know because we uh, what was it like Elon Musk a couple weeks ago announced he was coming up with some. A, a foolish device that will connect into your mind and, and cure all mental disease, give you superpowers. He was he was talking it up like it was the end all be all of science. Yeah, yeah. And like if, if it's to to all of us who know Elon Musk's track record, the dude's a total failure. Everything he makes fails. You know, like Teslas are underperforming, underdelivered, and they explode a lot. Yeah, <laughs> the, tr the the trifecta, <laughs> right? The, the three things I don't look for in stuff I own is underperforming, underdelivering, and frequently exploding. <laughs> it, it's all it's almost like Acme uh, explosives, like the yeah. oh yeah, the <laughs> yeah. Elon Musk is probably closer to Wile E. Coyote than than any other <laughs> fictional character. Yeah. Just constantly tripping over himself. Yeah. Um, but like the the Nightmare Network in, in, envisions this, right? It envisions this like. The, the the collapse and the futility here and even set in like because when you say like oh like you know f hyper optimized business we're all connected psychically we have virtual employees right you know like everything is is, is at the pinnacle AI. of optimization like like yeah. that 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 would that would be in like the next jeff bezos pitch to the board of directors or something <laughs> but like in reality it is a horrifying nightmare, and I think like just like just like a lot of sci-fi, this future gazing isn't future gazing. It's looking at the present moment, right? Like just like RoboCop, that's not actually a movie about uh, future cops that are cyborgs. It's a movie about present-day cops in the eighties. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so this yeah. Nightmare Network isn't about deep time corporations. It's about corporations in the year 2000. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that was perfect, man. Yeah. One of the things I found very interesting about the Nightmare Network as I read it is that I was like, okay, we have like the two corporations, which is the Nightmare Network and Omnicorp. Uh, no. No, it's Oni- Oniricorp, because it's from Oniric that are dreams. And, yep. and the funny thing is, until like the very end, I didn't realize they were separate entities. Because they don't, they aren't effectively different. The, yeah. That's the, the, the fun part of it, or the horrible part of it. It's like, because when the merger happens, it was like everyone became a double agent uh, for the other corporation. And it, they were all sort of sabotaging one another's works, and it sort of all evened out into a sort of cohesive, larger corp that was still like doing whatever it was doing. <laughs> it, it's, and I think and that may not necessarily have been intentional, but the fact that they are sort of interchangeable, just sort of a different marketing strategy, when it's like, oh, it's, it's all one dream for all, and the other's like, we just want to fuck shit up. Uh, but they're <laughs> they're effectively the same. They're both large corporations that ultimately, when they merge, they're not different. There's an identification there. Because when you do get to that sort of level, even sort of sci-fi reality, to get that large, that big, you're not different than your competitor. You're the same, just slightly aesthetically different at the most. Yes! Yes, that's that's that that is the key right there. It's they uh, that that Oniricon or however you however you say that, and the Nightmare Network are the same. They do the same things. They have the same values. Their their differences are purely aesthetic. The Nightmare Network is like spooky and like like oh, I can't remember the exact wording, but like they're they're just trying to go to their own oblivion in their way and being loud about it or something like that. Yeah. And then Oniricon sounds a lot more like a contemporary corporation, you know, like they have projections and directors and things like that. Yeah. And but like at the end of the day, like they're literally doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the whole yeah. thing that we were talking earlier about the differences between the past where you could look to your boss and hate him. And now you've been uh, and you're not being able to do that. But in the end, the feeling is the same because the the rules of capitalism are the same as well. They are just mm-hmm. being changed in, in, in ways that people can say, Oh no, we are, we're striving for better things. We're doing it in a more positive way, but it's, it's almost the same thing. It always yeah. been the same thing, basically. <laughs> exactly. Like we get one of the models of an Iricon here. And it's like, if this isn't sort of a nightmarish statement, then I don't know what is. The nightmare of the past becomes the dream of the future. A Nyricon, <laughs> one world, one dream. <laughs> yep. That is the most Paul Verhoeven thing ever. <laughs> I was going to say that it, this would be like the inverted Bob Marley philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But 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 really but really it's 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 increasingly becoming something that we actually have to think about, which is like, at what point, you know, we, we we've been told and conditioned to believe that our only kind of power is as consuming agents, right? Who do you choose to buy from? Yeah. But it but it's like 
oh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna buy from Amazon, for example. But it's like Amazon provides web services for like 50% of the world's largest corporations and the U.S. government. So it at, at a certain point, like trying to be like, well, I'm gonna just be a more conscious consumer. It really isn't doing anything except making your kind of resistance another commodity because it's like, yeah. well. I will buy ethically, but you're still buying. You're still participating. You're still kind of contributing to that overall exactly. system. Yeah. Yeah. I, I only do business with the nightmare network. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it's the whole thing about like, oh, you need to consume ethically. You need to be vegetarian, vegan, and that will help. It, it yeah. won't because the logic is systematically the same. It's exactly. the same. It's just like, oh, it's a different sort of damaging structure. But okay, it's not this specific one, but it's as destructive as the other and in the exact same ways. And then like, yeah. they, they, they sort of feed into one another and that's the whole the classic graph of like, oh, all these uh, hundred of corporations, they're all about five different large ones. Yeah, exactly. You know, the the, the thing that this made me think of is like, Starbucks has a business strategy where they will set up as many branches as possible until they reach the point of what they call cannibalization, which is <laughs> which which is where one branch is actually taking sales away from another one. <laughs> oh, God. So like so that that's a deliberate strategy already is to get uh, such a saturation of a of a given market like that the only money you can make is by stealing money from yourself. <laughs> Well, that's that's how Sears fell apart. the The American company uh, Sears, right? Like they 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 developed the strategy where instead of working together, their internal departments had to compete with each other, and it was because the 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 CEO or someone high up in the corporation wanted to do pure a pure Randian business. Oh my right? god! Just, oh no! Just all Ayn Rand all the time, and like. <laughs> It turns out when your HR department is competing with marketing, who's competing with R and D, who's competing with quality assurance, you're it's it's the exact same situation where like if your heart was competing with your stomach, your body just rips itself <laughs> apart and dies. <laughs> and so like we have we have a test case. If you if you ever want to get a test case for the sheer failure of the Randy and Vision for society, uh, Sears Sears Roebuck Company. <laughs> <laughs> AKA, AKA uh, Oniricon or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> we we are all doing business with the Nightmare, Nightmare Network all the time. I mean, if there's any corporation that I can stand behind, it is Nightmare Network. <laughs> <laughs> Nightmare Network? Are you guys talking about Twitter? Hey! hey. <laughs> Welcome to it's the joke of the show right there. <laughs> I mean, we had a glimpse of the end. Twitter died for a few moments the other week. Oh yeah, yeah. The, and the, I, I remember that the, the as as we know it now, the moment of bliss, <laughs> freedom. Right. The, en the endless screaming stopped for like for like ten minutes. It was just wonderful. <laughs> We're getting, we're dating the show a bit, but that's fine. We we do that all the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe Twitter collapses again before Halloween. Oh yeah! Oh, yeah. almost certainly. <laughs> what a, what a spooky treat that would be. 
No, I was going to say maybe it bugs on Halloween day so we can have a a better spooky night. Oh, that would be a great way of celebrating. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't want it to because that's when we're going to release this, so... <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, well, yeah, fair, fair point. Yeah, yeah, but Frank, I mean, if we want to go against the system, we, we can't utilize the system to promote ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> We should we should just just try to uh, do pamphlets and and things like flyers in the streets oh. for the left page podcast. <laughs> <to do>. <laughs> Retro. <laughs> no, I'm just getting the idea of dropping leaflets by plane, like they did yeah. in, in World War Two. Like, I kind of saying yes. Because we, we, you know, you do the sort of the biodegradable thing, so it's not that hurtful. But it, you can yeah. still do that. I was like, yes, that sounds like a great idea. I don't. I wish we had the money for it, but you know, maybe someday. Yeah. Just, just add the Patreon tier to get your own plane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Distributing leaflets by plane—that's our Patreon go. <laughs> Well, I really don't know what to say after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, just saying, I'm sure we could sneak a few horror Vanguard leaflets on there too, so, you know. Hey, yeah, there yeah. we go. There we go. That's For solidarity. For a fee. <laughs> it's, it's just a, a symbolic fee, of course. It's, it's nothing serious. <sighs> that's, that's something that's a lot in this story. Like, just the... the the office speak that's involved. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's so much of it. Uh, it like it, it's it, it's born to be satirized. Like this sort of multi-level marketing, like innovation <laughs> and change, and like we need to reinvent ourselves. That that is born satire, right? Like there's no yeah. other way around it. Yeah. Just had to get it out of my chest. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I completely uh, agree with you. Yeah. yeah, and the problem reading these stories or watching, for example, uh, The Office as well, is that you, when you get into a real job, it's just so similar to that that you almost get scared. Yeah, it's it's this kind of like weird linguistic uh, kind of code that's yeah. really gets, that gets inside your head. Yeah, like there's an infinite pleasantry of people that you don't don't care about well it's 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 a cant right it's ritual you know we we have to learn the chant to enter these these unhallowed halls and do business with these people right yeah you can't you, yeah. you can't look in your boss's eye and be like hey you're an absolute dickhead you've been treating <laughs> me like shit you, you will be fired for your honesty right you you have yeah. to you have to use exactly. their jargon and and when you pointed out that it bleeds back in you know, like like that. That's 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 the, the the corrosive nature of this this magic here, right? Like, you know, like oh, what was like oh, the, 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 this will this will date me a thousand years with the way modern modern like media discourse goes. But like s sometime uh, either earlier this summer or seven hundred years ago, someone tweeted out like like uh, when you when you reach out to your friends, make sure you use the phrase like, "Do you have the." the mental space to process some difficult information and it's just like <sighs> that is corporate corporatist jargon poisoning yeah. how we interact with humans you oh. know exactly oh i remember that yeah 
there's there's a whole there's a whole book to be written about the ways in which kind of wellness language has kind of just been so smoothly integrated into corporate capitalism. Well, the two the two are are the the same function, right? Like they're like the whole wellness apparatus thing. It has nothing to do with your health and happiness, and it has everything to do with making you a better worker, making you productive. You know, we're gonna, we're going to cut your your health insurance benefits and slash your time off, but we're going to do a uh, every Wednesday if you can if you can schedule the time. We're we're doing a, a mini yoga session in the break room. You know. <laughs> yep. I had this reflection a, a while ago that was like. Why? Because if you think like one of the things that would make a better worker, and this has sort of been happening lately, but like this, the idea of like over, and this is a way off track, but following our point, <laughs> uh, this over like psychologization of like this, everything is this sort of diagnosis, all of this, like you just give like, a, a, you organize like a mandatory actual series like therapy. Because in, in a way, this can act so pervasively, while like psychology can be so positive in a particular angle, it can be so sort of corporate and dominating and intensely like like mind controlling that and, and this, that this sort of like uh, what's the word I'm looking for co-opting of like this self-care and mental health uh, discourse is exactly that. In an even more decentralized way, it's like, oh, you don't have mm. people actually doing like this sort of therapy on behalf of the company. You have like there is a, a larger discourse on what mental health is that will make you a better worker. I mean, I think it's probably yeah. going to happen, right? It's probably going to happen. Well, I think I, I think part part of this part of this here is that like. We're, we're we're talking about making a better worker, and and capitalism has never and will never be concerned with that. Like that's a non-issue. the The issue is better profits. Yeah, you know, and and I think the the horrible reality is is you can just you can have your mind strip mined and your soul blasted away into a, a relatively clean husk and still be an ace assistant manager at your local Taco Bell. You know. Yep. Yeah. It, it's. And to pull to draw back to the story, like the infection of, and this is gonna be like a callback. But we talked, Bruno and I talked about this when we talked about Lovecraft's *The Color Out of Space*. It's this grayness of capitalism, this sort of void, this meaninglessness that really does corrupt everything, and that like it, you can't even. It's what we were mentioning, like even your own headspace. Is sort of taken with like how you must think, how you must act, how you must yeah. communicate. It's all so precisely corrupted by this, yeah. this force that is capital that yeah. there's nothing else. It, it, it's ah, oh, it's horrifying. It's horrifying. Well, it's, this is this is human proliferation. The success, joy, and happiness of every uh, uh, feeling person alive, and that will be alive, and that has been alive. Versus the profits and profit margins of maybe a couple thousand people the world over, yeah, you know, and like that—that that is the choice that is being elected. And and I shouldn't say choice because that that reverts things back into individualistic politics. But it's like, you know, we're we're being duped, we're being hoodwinked, we're being tricked. We carry the boss on our back every day of the week. Yeah, exactly, exactly. 
And it, it, it gets to the point, and I just want to mention this since we're like on the horrors of like capitalism work and like corporate, uh, the amount and, and like the evil, the ghost, the evil ghost that is the stock market. One of the latest trends in Brazil over the past like the whole year, but even before that, like the, uh, the sort of the financial coaches. There, like every yeah. single Everywhere. fucking day, you get at least like four different YouTube ads about, oh, you need to invest properly. Come to our lecture. Come to the whole thing. Uh, it's free yeah. or just a small charge because we're gonna help you on your millionaire journey. Yeah, you're millionaire before 25. Millionaire before tomorrow. Millionaire every fucking thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I get. I get really. I get really similar ads and they're always like, it's always like some, some, some dopey, dopey looking guy with like a polo yeah. t-shirt and glasses. Yeah. And then he walks out in front of like a Lamborghini and a house <laughs> in, in like Malibu. And he's like, do you want to know how I went from working at a Shake Shack to owning all of this? <laughs> buy my book, forty nine ninety five, And it's like, yes, that is how you got there. You told people to buy your book and your book's full of trash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> oh, it's and we're talking about the ritual ash. It's like these people they sort of follow negatively this mantra that some of these coaches do acquire their their money because they're already inside of it and then reproduce it endlessly. Yeah. It's like oh you you were a coach you went to this person because you already had the money and you already had like a hundred grand saved. Because, you know, rich parents, that whole thing we all know about. And then you become yeah. a coach yourself and you reproduce that. It's sort of a, yeah. such a... Because it's decentralized. It's not even like the corporation anymore. It's just like these separate coaches just separating their advice. And like, oh, they're all... It's the newest pyramid scheme, basically. Exactly. Well, yeah, that's, that's the whole point of capital, right? Capital is not just money. It's not just it's not just people who have more money than I do, like there is a there is a qualitative difference, right? And it's it, it's because at a certain level, capital has a speculative function. So it's it's not a you know spending spending money is not just like going to the coffee shop to get uh to get a uh, uh, coffee. It's like spending money that will make you more money. Money will generate itself if you're rich enough, if you possess capital, yeah. not just yeah. money, you yeah. will be like, that's, that's why it's like, it's almost impossible to conceive of a situation in which someone like Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk will uh, become poor. It's because they yeah. have so much money. They will just generate more money. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, every day we, you hear that uh, like Elon Musk is, Oh my God, Tesla is almost being disassembled and it's everything going bad. And still, he's a billionaire. So you're, yeah, you're exa like, exactly. What the fuck? Exactly. Yeah. What's what's going on here? What's going yeah. on here? <laughs> so <laughs> th that we went on a fun tangent path there. I think it was a yeah. Very we good one. we just went off, didn't we? <laughs> well, it's what we do, and it works. Yeah. Yeah. So um. Is there anything else that anyone wants to mention? I have one point that I think that I want to go into, but I want to ask around first. Oh, I'm I am I'm good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah me go, too. On, go on, go on, Frank. Oh, I just wanted to like mention uh, some thoughts or ideas about like the second story, which is the one that we 
talk least about because there is something going on, but there isn't that much, I think, so it's it, it makes sense. But <laughs> less than, than the story itself, the environment of, like... I, I like the unreliable narrator. That's always fun, well done. But <laughs> just how like this entity, which is sort of larger, it sort of embodies this corporate beingness, uh, if that can be a thing, because it sort of it draws the corporation in, and then it's sort of like, no, you're gonna go as far as I tell you, because like at the end of the day, I control what you do and don't do. But he acts like a corporation. In his special plan for this world, it is this. It's not like it, it's beyond like the capitalist idea of like how the capitalist perceives the world or, or how that may be construed. It feels like something even more like damaging or I'm not going to say obnoxious, but sort of more like I guess evil than that uh, to the way that it goes because it really it embodies what is this sort of expansion and taking of merging and and like hostile takeovers than it is sort of like domination or control of power it's this it's a corporate way of like absolute power and that is quite scary embodied in a single force uh, more than just a corporation so i i think that's one way that I, that like i interpreted this second story um, which I just kind of wanted to share because it was a bit weird. Yeah, I think that's a really good read of it. Yeah, this idea that like it, it's 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 kind of capitalist systems all the way down, right? It's the the logic of the market has permeated every kind of stage of existence. I think is really true. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of the note to end on. That like, and I I, I do this most episodes or almost every episode. So if you have like the Ash intro, I have the Frank conclusion monologue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'll do a very brief one as we sort of set to send us all off. In the ichor of darkness that were brought about, that is the nightmare that Legardi sort of reconstructs. That that isn't uh, wholly fictitious. Like it's at the most a few extrapolations carefully placed that distill what is this dark ichor we do, do see in more horrifying ways what this capitalist nightmare is and i think that when you were mentioning john about how how there is the nightmare but it, it's something to go through it and i think that's where we draw our, our stance really that's where we place our flags and like you know this is where we're going because we have we have the nightmare like that that's a given at this point like we exist in the midst of the capitalist hell world to put it bluntly and while we can't see as clearly or as easily the way out or the way through the effort to do it the effort to in all our various spaces, in the way we create media, in the way that we write, in the way that we do academia, in the way that, like, to, to give my example, like, in the way I pray, in the way that I think of all the things I do to, to push beyond capitalism, to push beyond capitalist realism, to push beyond the world as we are given, to truly construe and picture and labor through, if through a very small bit towards a better world, 
I think that's like sort of the the sober position to have on this that like yeah we we ourselves and I, I say as like a, a budding academic and like th that's just me like I am this sort of shy individual that like exists in a few places if always online but it is this effort like how can I turn this work I do how can I turn my existence into a small blinking light towards something else amidst this and so far endless darkness that but that is and that has an end whether we want it or not and the way we do this it, it is through our little things and there is a, a larger work at hand that others that are not me are doing that are truly like investing in the struggle that are organizing and it is sort of like well, the systemic, wholly systemic uh, response and opposition so far or right now seems impossible. Our little works are, are small works everywhere we can, like making a podcast, trying to bring about literature that people won't have the time, access, or even patience or possibility to read uh, is a part of that work. And it is a small part, sure, but, but it is a part of it. And in all these works, we are pushing back and putting a bit of light amidst this endless river of darkness and void. It's where we truly find some lights. And our lights is one of the smaller ones, but like what it has been like Revlef Radio that has brought about so many. It has brought about us, it has brought about others, and, and I'm sure like the Horvanger has been influenced by them in some aspect and that's great it is it is those very small lights that are pushing back the echoes of darkness so far and that's where we carry on and we push back as much as we can to the best of our abilities day by day and that's where i will uh, wrap up for us from the left page from the horror vanguard yeah on where we see yeah, and how we handle it uh if that's fine by all of you yeah, yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you liked it. I, I I've decided I'm going to bring about some more because it's fun to bring about some poetics to it. Uh, to conclude, oh, it is so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, like thanks, thanks, thanks for being here. Like this has been great. So yeah. where can people find more about each of your own works and the horror vanguard itself? We, uh, our podcast is uh, Horror Vanguard. We are uploaded uh, wherever you can find good podcasts. I think we're, we're just about everywhere by now. Um, you can find us on twitter.com slash horror vanguard at horror vanguard <laughs> and, and uh, patreon.com slash horror vanguard. Ash and I are both on the, uh, the bird site as well. We're both on Twitter. Um, uh, and do come say hi come say hi and thank you so much uh, Bruno and Frank for having us on of course yeah like, it was a blast man yeah it, it's always been great like we, we love collabing with you guys it's fantastic <laughs> yeah especially with this suggestion it was a lot of fun yeah and from us you can find us on Twitter as well at left page pod uh, always sharing fun stuff and we're always down there to talk and promote our, our work and others 
Uh, I'm also on there individually. Bruno is too, but he's he's not as online as the, the yeah. three of us are. So lucky yeah. him. Smart choice. <laughs> <laughs> and we're also on Patreon. Uh, our Patreon stuff has been back on track uh, amidst pandemic and all that. So that's good. At patreon.com forward slash left page. And you can find some of the poetry clubs and the latest reading corner. I should put one. There should already be one up uh, on. And if you haven't seen it, it's on the on Chile's dictatorship of Pinochet and the book, uh, the adventure of Miguel Latin, a clandestine in Chile. I think that's the title in English. It's very interesting, uh, but that will already be on there by the time this comes out. And the Poetry Club will already have gone out a bit about writing and poetry uh, itself, so metalinguistics too. So, yeah, I think that's that from all of us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, it's a blast to do this. It's a blast to know that people listen (laughs) and find it interesting and fun. So, you know, thanks a lot. Uh, (laughs) We will remain here and you will see us all soon enough. So thank you so much for listening. Yeah, until the next one, guys. Yeah, thank you. Goodbye, everybody.